0: Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice with your hosts, Joanne Hathaway and Tish Vincent, here on Legal Talk Network. Take it away, ladies. Hello, and welcome to another edition
1: of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Robert Mathis, along with Loren Thomas from the State Bar of Michigan. We're sitting in today for your regular hosts, Joanne Hathaway and Tish Vincent. We are live from the State Bar of Michigan's Next Conference 2018 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And joining us today, I have Susan Reed from the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center. Would you like to tell us a little more about yourself, Susan?
2: Sure, Rob. I'm managing attorney at the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center. Uh, We started our project. We're part of the Michigan Advocacy Program, but we started our immigrant rights project 10 years ago with just me. We're now a staff of 25 throughout the state, and we're a nonprofit legal resource center for immigrants and immigrant communities. Excellent.
3: Well, thanks, Susan. You know, we recognize that you are in a hotbed Mm -hmm. issue of the law right now and it affects so many other areas of the law. Can you tell us what family law practitioners need to know about immigration law?
2: Well, embedded in your question Lorraine really is is the fact that if you're a non-citizen, being a non-citizen impacts virtually every other you know, civil legal area, Uh, every one of your other civil legal rights, as well as your rights if you're convicted of a crime, but we really focus on civil. Uh, Today, uh, I was with David Thronson, um, who is uh, a dean and... um, professor of law at Michigan State University College of Law. And uh, Veronica Thronson, who is an immigration law clinical professor presenting to the family law section, really just responding to the issues that we see arising in the family courts for immigrants uh, and offering them some perspectives and tools for navigating them.
1: So what are some of the major issues that are facing family law practitioners?
2: Well, So often there's just a sense of paralysis. It's a complex area of the law and most immigration practitioners exclusively practice immigration and most general practitioners or family law practitioners don't dabble in immigration at all. And so there's just a lot of hot potatoes that come up, right, when you have a, a custodial parent who may not have immigration status um, or you have um, a situation of domestic violence where, you know, threats of deportation are are being used uh, to intimidate one of the parties. You know, we see issues come up with respect to um, linguistic and cultural disabilities. Decisions about about raising children, we see less so in domestic relations matters, but more in the probate courts. We see unaccompanied children's issues arising, and so uh, we really just tried to offer our perspective as, as immigration practitioners. And and David, my colleague, David Thronson, has really studied this from a family law perspective as well to sort of cool that hot potato and uh, create a framework for thinking through. Yes, these immigration issues are important. Sometimes they're relevant, sometimes they're not, but they're never dispositive, right? We never say, oh, well, that mom, you know, her visa expired, so she Mm -hmm. can't have custody because her visa expired. Again, it could be a factor in making a decision about custody or making a decision about placement, but only in the way that factors, the the usual factors that family law judges are looking at are relevant.
3: So I understand that there is now a judicial training program sponsored by the Michigan Judicial Institute. Is that because you end up having to educate the judges a lot about some of these areas?
2: Well, these are hot potato issues for judges as well. And, um, you know, Veronica and David and I have have done a lot of judicial training uh, together with MJI, the Michigan Judicial Institute, over the last few years. And I regularly get calls from judges saying, I I need some guidance. I need to know what to look at. I'm trying to sort out, again, the best metaphor is one of these hot potatoes uh, has just uh, popped into my hands. And so we are really excited to be part of a national project. Um, It is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation and led by the National Immigrant Women's Advocacy Project at American University College of Law. Uh, We have a judicial training team of five Michigan State Court judges um, who are part of a three-year process to become peer mentors on these issues. And be able to support their fellow judges in, uh, again, cooling that hot potato, looking at the issue for what it is, not for what it isn't.
1: So you're with the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center, and um, professors Swanson, uh, Veronica, and David are with the MSU Immigration Clinic. You know, do y'all take the same types of cases, or is there a difference in the types of clients? That you assist?
2: Yeah, we do a huge variety of work within the immigration law at the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center. We really focus on the needs of low income immigrants, um, but we handle both immigration law cases, so helping people get status or defending people who may be at risk of losing status, but we also handle immigrant rights cases. So, for example, um, you know, we handled a large class action against the state of Michigan together with the Center for Civil Justice addressing misassignment of immigrants to uh, emergency services only Medicaid uh, immigrants with status who were eligible for full scope Medicaid. So, again, intersection of uh, immigration law and other civil legal areas. The immigration clinic at MSU uh, primarily does focus on immigration status cases and removal defense, but also with a focus on low-income folks as a law school clinic there, you know, helping us help the most vulnerable people.
1: So how many attorneys would you say are are in Michigan that are helping um, the low-income population like Merck and the Immigration Clinic?
2: Yeah, well, uh, at the Michigan Immigrant Rights Center, we're very active members of the Michigan Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. I would say uh, statewide, there are probably about counting law school clinical staff, maybe 25 attorneys uh, assisting low-income immigrants with immigration and immigrant rights issues. Uh, About 14 of them work with us at Merck. So we're... (laughs) We're a pretty small, tight-knit group, uh, those of us who focus on assisting low-income people. But we have, as you know, in your role, Rob, we have significant pro bono programs to expand that and create opportunities for both immigration practitioners and other attorneys to serve our clients, especially uh, at this critical time when um, immigrant rights really are, from my perspective as an advocate, under siege.
1: So, Susan, you mentioned that uh, judges contact you with these hot potato issues, Do you see uh, clients finding their way to you from referrals from judges or do clients apply for your services directly or a combination?
2: Sure. Yeah. So we at Merck, we run two intake lines. Uh, We have a general intake line that's staffed out of our Ann Arbor office. And then we have a shared intake line with Farmworker Legal Services of Michigan focused on the needs of agricultural workers. We, every year, distribute about 15,000 copies of our farm worker calendar to agricultural workers in Michigan and do door-to-door visits of um, several hundred residences in temporary farm labor housing to um, make sure that ag workers know that we're there to support them with any employment-related legal issues. So far this year, we've done more than 2,000 individual intake calls from uh, immigrants calling our general intake line. Our intake has just, increased exponentially. We are on the court referral list. We are, uh, together with UD Mercy School of Law, the only service provider on the immigration court referral list. And people are not entitled to counsel at government expense. Even children are not entitled to counsel at government expense in deportation proceedings. Um, And so, representing immigrant children uh, who are placed in foster care in Michigan has been a major area of growth in our our practice. and, And we represent represented every separated child brought to Michigan for custody uh, in the family separation crisis this summer. So our clients come to us in in a lot of different ways. Uh, Sometimes referrals from from state courts uh, is is one way, but um, primarily it's through our relationships with immigrant community leaders and grassroots organizations that people find out about our services.
1: So you mentioned uh, the pro bono attorneys assist you with your work. If I was a an attorney and I was interested in uh, volunteering with Merck, who would I contact?
2: Sure, well, I mean, if you were to visit our website, michiganimmigrant.org, you would see all of our contact information. Uh, just reach out to us. Email is a is a great way to get started, but um, you could even call our intake line, which is right there at michiganimmigrant.org and get started chatting with uh, one of our staff members who uh, could connect folks with resources. We have a lot of different pro bono opportunities and we recruit people on a rolling basis. You don't have to wait for a training. We have a lot of recorded training. We do a lot of one-on-one mentoring. So... Bear with us, there are times where uh, the latest new shocking development seems to keep uh, hitting either the front pages or the Supreme Court. So there there are some times where we get a little little behind bringing on our new pro bonos, but uh, we're we're always anxious for new volunteers. Well, that's
3: a good segue into my next question, which was with all the recent developments in in immigration and in the laws and and processes, how have you managed to keep up with what must be a significant uptick? in your numbers.
2: We have been able uh, with the partnership of um, some great philanthropic partners to increase our staffing. We've also, you know, are been grateful for individual donors um, who've allowed us to grow and sustain our staffing. It really is, uh, as well as a practical capacity challenge, a challenge to keep our staff motivated, um, not motivated, they're extremely motivated, uh, keep them doing self-care and not burning out. Uh, many of our Staff are from the very communities that we serve. And um, it's a personally really difficult time for our staff. They see the way the law, which they care so much about and believe so deeply in, is really being weaponized against their communities.
1: So going back to the pro bono um, opportunity you said there's lots of different opportunities. What does the like time commitment range?
2: Sure. Well, we regularly have sort of one-day short-term opportunities, you know, come to a citizenship clinic and assist one client in completing a form over a two- to three-hour appointment. We also have opportunities to take on a case, uh, particularly cases for survivors of domestic violence who can often file a self-petition and thus not be dependent on an abusive family member to carry forward the sponsorship process those cases uh, we can assign those cases and folks can handle them you know in their own office kind of over uh, a few weeks or to prepare and then months to in some cases, years to finally get approved. So um, those those are two of the ways that we do pro bono. Um, you know, we also are always looking for support of larger firms who are able to support us with litigation when we are able to identify impact cases. So I would say that the time commitment someone could make could be really anywhere from three hours to 300, but but, um, we can generally accommodate someone's needs.
1: So, Susan, uh, can you share with us, without revealing any confidential information, uh, one of your favorite success stories?
2: Oh, well, uh, you know, we had a client who uh, came to Michigan through Bethany Christian Services foster care program for unaccompanied minors. In that program, historically in Michigan, even when those kids turn 18, as long as they have not had any kind of criminal issue. They're allowed to um, stay in the community and stay in in the program. Bethany provides additional support to them. They're not detained by immigration on the day they turn 18. That is actually not the case in a number of districts, and the administration is pushing to change that so that children would be arrested the day they turn 18 after having been in the more appropriate forms of custody for minors, but... This client, he rode his bike the wrong way down a street, and then when an officer stopped him about it, he got scared and ran away and was Mm. was arrested for... Fleeing an officer, and our staff fought for ten months to get him out of adult detention in the Calhoun County Jail, and were able to get him released again and able to assist him in continuing to pursue asylum. And um, to me, the idea that uh, a young person um, could spend ten months in jail, essentially for riding his bicycle the wrong way down the street, is everything that's wrong with our system. Mm. But the way our staff worked for that client and got his path to asylum back on track uh, in a way that never, never, ever would have happened without counsel and wouldn't have happened without the generosity of the people who support our work, because again, he wasn't entitled to counsel, is just thinking of the picture of, of his face when our staff took him to Subway on the day he was released from jail. And the positive future that he has ahead really makes our work worth it to me.
1: It's yeah, a great story. Susan, is there anything else you would like to share with us today about your work?
2: I think it's so important that all lawyers, whether they practice immigration law or not, pay close attention to the things that are happening to our clients. Some of the most fundamental values in the law, particularly the values of due process and equal protection, are being attacked. Due process in particular, is being stripped out of uh, the way that these immigration cases are adjudicated, which in many ways lacked due process to begin with. And I I think that there's a responsibility on the part of all lawyers to tune in to uh, the vulnerability of our clients. And I'm grateful to the lawyers uh, of the family law section for listening to and taking the time to understand our perspective as advocates this morning on how that relates to their practice.
1: Well, thank you. Before we close out this podcast, I have one more question. If uh, listeners want to follow up with you, what's your contact information?
2: Absolutely. We are online at Michigan Immigrant, all one word, MichiganImmigrant.org. I, of course, am in the State Bar Michigan member directory. Uh, (laughs) But again, MichiganImmigrant.org and Facebook slash Michigan Immigrant.
1: Well, that's all the time we have for this program. Thank you, Susan, for uh, joining us, and also a big thank you to Loren from the State Bar of Michigan. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. I'm Robert Mathis. We'll see you next time for another episode of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network.
0: Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS, find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.